Welcome to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. We are twin brothers who are pastors in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We talk about faith, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, culture, and anything else we think is interesting. Thanks for joining. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Today we have the Reverend Tuhina Rash on. Uh, so excited. Uh, when Jeremy and I were talking uh, about like, hey, let's interview some people. Uh, Jeremy's like, I know who we have to have is our very first guest. Our first guest, it, it, none other than our friend <laughs> Tahina. So, oh, wait, I am your first guest, right? Because the other podcasts has just been y'all. That's exactly Correct. it. That's exactly it. Also, uh, we should really clarify up front. I am not running for bishop in the Sierra Pacific Synod. I am not one of the pre-nominees. like nominees. So just FYI, not a pre-nominee. However, I am the first guest on right. this podcast. So so nobody should write in your name for the bishop. No. Right? Do no. not write no. Tahina in the bishop. That's a strong no. That is a that is a forceful no and no winks no winks either. No, just, no. 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 Right. So so uh, let's start off, Tahina. How do we know each other? Let's talk about how uh, we know the each Holy other. The Holy Spirit has a wicked sense of humor. Indeed, she does. Actually, so Carl and I uh, were just talking about this. Carl, my spouse. Um, because when I had mentioned that I was going to be the first guest on your podcast, he was like, wow, y'all go way back. Actually, what ended uh, what how how we got here was like, why are your children growing up? Oh man. Why? Why? <laughs> That's happens. how far back we go. Right. right. Pre pre. But even before. Even before I brought my youngest son in a in a car seat um, to look for apartments up here, we knew each other in Pasadena. Back at Fuller. Because at- you don't find many Lutherans at Fuller Seminary. And at least when I found Lutherans, I would just cling to them and be like, don't let me go. Like, I'm never going to let you go. Please never leave me. Um, which, you know, also shows some codependency issues. <laughs> Um, and, and then also, uh, Jeremy, you invited me to your church because you were preaching one Sunday and I showed up that Sunday and you weren't there. However, the sermon was lovely. It was the musician who had preached that Sunday. Jeremy, you were very sick. I remember this. Yes. But I was just kind of like, I got baited and switched. That's funny. That's really funny. I was so intimidated by your presence. And I'm going to go like cheer him on. And then wait. And Jeremy didn't even remember that he invited you. That's how sick he was. That's how sick he was. So you. I do remember it was all, it was actually, it was a really lovely sermon, but it was also like, there was a lot of anxiety around it because the music director's like, I don't do this. Um, But he just the music director gave such a heartfelt message Mm. and that was so gospel centric that it's like, I went to church. Nice. Yeah. That's nice. So you all go ahead. Yeah. So I met Jeremy first at Fuller um, and then was going to transfer up to PLTS uh, because economics and 
ended up transferring Josh's Luther year. And the first couple of weeks, I kept calling Josh Jeremy. I, I actually remember when you came up to me and you said, you said something to the effect of, you're Jeremy's brother. I'm friends with him. We're now friends. It's like, like it was some iteration of that, you know, I'm sure it was longer. I'm sure it was something else, but I was like, oh, you're Tuhina. Very cool. Like, like, uh, good to meet you. You know, uh, that's, that's what I remember of this. <laughs> do you remember that at all? I do. I do. Uh, because it was also kind of, it was also a little weird, like, you know, new seminary. I don't know why I'm here. There's a lot of white people. Yeah, and, As and so, go ahead. And, and so we've known each other for 12 years? It feels longer. It's longer. It's, it's, we, longer. it's like, I mean, we're talking 2009 probably is when so, I met to here so for the first time. Jeremy and I met in like 2008-ish. Yeah. Wow. And so Josh, we met in 2009 because that was your Luther year. Right, right. So it's been over been it's been over that it's like 14 we're at 14 years don't ask now. me to do math i know right? religion <laughs> so, not math. that's why i got married because <laughs> you married a mathematician <laughs> i mean he did major in math among other things but i mean he he writes algorithms for a living he does math for a living and so it's just like i don't have to do math because he does right that's good <laughs> also keep in mind lots of trust right <laughs> so you've abandoned us to the East Coast. What are you doing now? Well, um, let's see. So as, what am I doing? That's what I ask myself every morning when I wake up to, you know, what are you doing? Um, but in reality, um, I am one of the digital pastors for the Anamkara Digital Community, which is a digital first mission start with the North Carolina Synod. And I serve alongside pastors Tim Brown and Jason Chestnut. We curate worship services. And so we've been doing um, worship experiences based on the rhythms of Lutheran liturgy. We're also taking this process slowly. We don't want to be rushed because everything feels rushed and everybody feels rushed. And with worship and really breaking down worship, we wanted to take our time and really ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? Mm. So we do those digital offerings. Um, and our most recent one was on the Hebrew scriptures. Um, and why do we have Hebrew scriptures in our worship services? And so, um, yeah, check it out. We also do a podcast on the lectionary called Botcast. It's a oh, short cool. podcast. And so it's about 12 to 15 minutes per episode. And it's about every other week. And we talk about the lectionary and ways that you could look at scripture, talk about scripture. And for folks who even have to do sermon titles, we try to pitch some of those out too. Um, we have a guest pretty much every other episode. Um, but yeah, so realizing that, especially um, as folks are coming back and churches were opening um, after everything had shut down during like the height of COVID, because the reality of the situation is COVID is still with us. Yeah, sure. um, but when the world started to open back up, um, 
realizing that there was a request for, um, you know, just talking about scripture and finding new and different ways to talk about scripture, but ways that weren't like bogged down, um, ways that are still like firmly rooted in scripture, but are kind of looking for a different kind of like creative or, I mean, you both know me. I am just like, I'm not particularly conservative in my thought process. Um, and so that's kind of the avenue that I take uh, through my lens in the podcast. That's so, there, is there any, with the projects that you're doing with this digital community, um, I don't know about you, but I kind of focus on the bad stuff, what goes wrong. Is there anything that has gone really right that you're kind of proud of with that? I really love the digital worship offerings that we've provided for folks and realizing that folks are using them to worship and folks are using them in churches, using them as adult ed catechumenate materials um, because we are right now in this process of breaking down how we do worship, like the apostolic greeting, we've done that, the prayer of the day, um, focus on Hebrew scriptures. Our next offering is going to be on the Psalms and also inviting people into these worship experiences. So it's not just talking heads. We want people to engage. We want people to interact and finding ways to do that online electronically. And it's been really, it's been really I don't actually have the word for it right now, but I've just been so encouraged by the messages that we have gotten behind the scenes from folks who have just been like, I've just been really struggling with how to lead worship or preach a sermon or just be in church. And so just thank you for what you are providing because I get to do it at my own rhythm and my own pace. Hmm. Are these uh, posts on a website or like YouTube? So there is a YouTube page. Um, let me pull it up. Um, so our website is www.anamkaracommunity.org. Will you spell that for people? Yes, it is A-N-A-M-C-A-R-A c-o-m-m-u-n-i-t-y dot org what does anamkara mean soul friend it's my understanding is it's uh it's gaelic for soul friend and what we're trying to do with this community is finding soul friends in online spaces Mm. because online spaces have been super duper contentious And what would it look like to have a place where you can pause, a place where you can breathe, and a place where you can pray? Mm, That's lovely. That's a lovely idea to bring, to kind of try to reclaim those online spaces for for community and soul friends. I was just, I was just talking to, I think out of like all the spiritual disciplines, soul friends could be the hardest one because it requires somebody else and accountability and it requires opening yourselves uh, to your doubts and questions and um uh, but a, but having a soul friend having somebody to walk with you uh is so necessary i think to our 
uh, walks as Christians, you know? And and I think that's actually what keeps me in the church as, as hard as instances have been for me a lot in our denomination. Accompaniment has been what's kept me here. Um, Were it not for the communion of saints and were it not for accompaniment, I think I would have been gone years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank uh, God for that kind of thing, right? For for those yeah. for those people to to walk with you, right? That's yeah, absolutely. Um, so that is what I do with the North Carolina Synod, and I am also one of the co associate editors of G's Magazine. And um, there's a few. Yes, yes. Josh, <laughs> Josh has subscribed to G's. Jeremy has found out about it. <laughs> okay, I am. I am. I am not one of your constituents because I don't know any. Tell me about G's magazine. What are you all about? We're about we're about how to be really how to be really faithful in the multitudes of lived experiences that folks have. And how do we address these things wholeheartedly, honestly, with accountability? Each issue has a theme. So we come out quarterly four times a year. And each issue has a theme. And the most recent one uh, that was published is the one that Josh held up is uh, The Children Will Prophesy. And there, um, we put pitches out. So we'll say like, pitch, you know, give us a pitch. Tell us what you want to write. Tell us what you want to create. Tell us what you want to do. And what I really love about this issue, The Children Will Prophesy, is that so much of the content is actually from children. Because how often do we listen to children in worship services? I mean, how often do we listen to children, period? How often do we take children seriously? Their hopes, their fears, their joys, their concerns, um, their creative processes, how they put words together to create stories. And I loved that this issue was really focused on having kids contribute. And one of the articles that I really love in this most current issue is reading the Bible with children is actually fun. Hmm. Like the actual Bible. I know that we have spark Bibles like in the ELCA and that there's a bunch of different types of children's Bibles, but there's a lot more to our scripture and there's a lot more to our story with God and God's story with us. And Part of it is also that really hard truth telling to kids of like, what, what do you mean? How, um, and kids actually have really thoughtful and really serious questions about their faith and about scripture. And that is one of the articles that I want to highlight because it's actually written by a family and they talk about sitting down together and reading like complicated parts of scripture because like you wouldn't think like, Hey, let's read judges to our kids. Right. Well, they did. That's cool. And also like, but also like thoughtfully like pausing when the kids had questions, when the kids had wonderings and like, and that I also think that's why I love godly play so much because it starts with questions and wonderings as opposed to infinites. Of like this is it and that's it. It's so funny that you say that to you, Nick, because I was just having a conversation with a, a college kid, and I'm like, you gotta stay. Like, I was like, the fact that you have curiosity and wonder and asking questions and really wanting to like have the 
you're really reaching out to what to God or you know whatever they want to call it right now you know um that I was I said I would take a hundred of you but then the people who are like I have all the answers I know exactly what this faith is about I you know I have answers to give not questions to ask you know what I mean uh and so that that you do that in this magazine and this family does that sounds really awesome you know just to stay in the questions you know and actually that's how our pitches go out it's not like we want this story it's more like i wonder like we ask questions when it comes to pitches of like have you had an experience what is it like to do this what would a conversation be like and i love that the pitches come out as questions and not mm. like we are looking for this specific thing because oftentimes what I'm realizing in the land of pitches is that we may have imagined an issue one way, but when the pitches start coming in and we when we try to like weave people's stories together, it's like, wow, this is not how I imagined it. It's so much bigger and wider than I could have dreamed. That's cool. How how would I um, you know, receive these pitches? Are they put in the back of the magazine for next time? Are they are they like, is it an email list? How, how, how do the pitches get disseminated? The pitches get disseminated. I am so glad you asked that question. Um, and I'm realizing that our episode is not going to go out in time because our pitches for our health and faith issue are due on August 15th, which at the recording of this podcast is tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they are posted on Jesus website, G-E-E-Z magazine.org. And if you go to the blog, it, the pitches are in the blog. Um, I've also been posting pitches. Um, so the, the pitches have been posted on Jesus social media. So also on our Instagram um, and our Facebook. Um, also because there's folks who use social media like me. Um, I've been posting it to LinkedIn, to Twitter, to Facebook, and so, and other kind of like art and faith community groups. But I would really recommend, and also the email list. Um, if you are on Jesus' email list, you will receive uh, the request for pitches via email. Wow, awesome. that's very cool. And and do, do you have an, an abundance of pitches that come in? Or, are you... Are you all still kind of like really looking for people? So actually, um, the issue that's going to be coming out in the fall is on ancestors. And mm -hmm. there were so many amazing pitches that came in. It was so hard to figure out like, because part of it's like, then we just want to do everybody. Um, but because Jesus is also very committed to being print, that there is there is a there's um there's a limit to what we can do print wise um so the last issue on ancestors um just so many amazing pitches that came in and we actually um just sent the ancestors issue uh to the printer to get a proof and it's i'm so excited because it's just like wow this is the first issue that like I've actually had fingerprints on and Michonne Simon, the other co-associate editor, we started at the same time. Like you can kind of see an experience, a different sensation with G's with Michonne and I now being new staff members. 
Well, you That's sold really me to him. Odd. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, as soon as we're done, I'm going to subscribe. And we also take art pitches as well. Um, we take stories, but we also take art. That's really cool. Yeah. So photo well, it was the realization of like, um, I mean, you both know me and, but you can't see the wall where my computer is, but the wall above me is filled with icons. Um, because one of the ways that I experience my faith is through art and is through iconography. Um, and so knowing that folks can also have an artistic outlet, um, they can write stories and they can also be like sci-fi, like futurism, like it, you know, you can also like imagine a new world and dream a new world and dream new ways of being like that could also be part of the pitch, um, that the pitches we try to have them be we try to have structure so folks who want to pitch can flow through the structure nice i think that's really cool that uh i feel like you sold the magazine right now to the three people who listen to this podcast so and you're one of them so the other two people who listen to this podcast which are our parents uh, I, <laughs> well, you and, I think and my the, two parents the other thing is that we want g's we like if we want G's to be accessible to folks. And so there's also a sliding scale subscription fee. So if you're at a point in your life where it's like, it's, you know, like also rents are going up. I mean, that's actually one of the reasons why we left California was this realization of, we knew we couldn't stay there forever. Um, and with um, our families in the South, we just felt like, we had to be closer to our families and that also meant leaving California, but also like we were paying so much to live in California and it's, it's not like we weren't doing badly either. Right. Um, the realization that the way that economics are set up in this world right now are not equitable. Um, and so G's wants to make sure that folks who want to be in the G's community reading the print magazine that folks can subscribe to it. And so there is a sliding sales, uh, sliding scale subscription for folks um, looking to subscribe to G's. And so that's also something else that like I'm also really thrilled about that, you know, folks want to have experiences with their faith, with art, with words and in community and Nobody should be shut off from that. Totally. Totally. Hey, uh, so we talked about like kind of job wise, what you're doing right now. Uh, are you got any hobbies or passions outside of kind of the work that you're, that you're into right now? Like, is there anything like uh, you're doing hobby wise? Reading? I have a wall of books behind me and I have so many books to read. And it's also, you know, kind of bonkers because I left so many books with you two when Carl and I moved cross country. That, like... <laughs> All of the, the <laughs> is what Tuhina gave me when she moved to the East Coast. <laughs> I love reading. I love stories. Um, I love um getting to experience the world through someone else's words and getting to accompany them on that story and being brought along on that story. So I love reading. Um, I have this deep 
need to theologically communicate about zombies because I feel like zombie culture has just gone so far and so wide lately that it's more just like consumerism and that we're zombies consuming the zombies culture stuff. And so that's a whole like metaverse for me unto itself. Um, but Carl and I actually, we just fin like we're late to so many parties. It's it's really kind of sad, but we finally finished The Last of Us. And I feel like that was done so brilliantly um, and so smartly. And I think it's also pulling in things that are impacting our world right now. And so thinking about cordycepsis, I'm. I also really am fascinated by mushrooms and the mycelial network. There's a great book called Entangled Life by Melvin Sheldrake. And that book, while it is about the mycelial network and mushrooms, really got me thinking about how to form faith communities, how to think about community organizing, how to communicate with folks in our community, how to live with folks in our community. Um, and so they do mention cordycepsis in Entangled Life about how um, how it can really turn an ant into its own agent and like, and that's how cordycepsis stays alive. And so it was so chilling to watch The Last of Us. And it's like, well, if global temperatures go up in earth then cordycepsis has a chance to survive in other organisms. And it's like, Wow, that should really stop and make us think for a moment. There are two ways that I think the zombie apocalypse is possible. Um, one of them is, is it 27 days later? What, the, the English 28 one. days later. 28 days later. I think 27 days was the Sandra Bullock movie. Um, uh, <laughs> like, no, so actually, that was just straight up 28 days. Oh really? Okay, okay. Yeah. Twenty-eight days later, then uh, is is um, um because that virus is it like turns everybody really angry and like they can't control their emotion. Um, or when I saw The Last of Us, I was like, "This is how it happens. This is how the the zombie apocalypse goes down." Mm -hmm. So I think um, there's a lot to explore theologically with zombies beyond like just watching zombie movies and watching like and it's kind of weird because it's like I really love the graphic novel of The Walking Dead mm -hmm. but when it came to be a television show it's just kind of like you don't go to the CDC that is the last place you go in a zombie apocalypse <laughs> y'all do not go to the CDC it, yes and there's so many spinoffs now there's been like, right. There's, there's like three or four spinoffs and the stories are not great. You know, the storylines are not great. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, well, what happens if we have zombies on a boat in a submarine? What happens if, you know, we go to a city now, you know, uh, cause they've been staying out of the city in the regular walking dead, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so it, it doesn't feel like it's keeping kind of with that original, like, Hey, we have something to say and we want to say it, you know? Um, talking about the human condition and it's kind of moved past that you know well, and I think like that's what I really enjoyed about like the Romero movies if mm -hmm. like I love the Romero zombie movies and so yeah. thinking about particularly 1978's Dawn of the Dead mm -hmm. I think Romero Romero's zombie movies were actually fascinating social commentary and so like the first one Night of the Living Dead 
um, the realization of like, if humans don't communicate with one another, we can't help one another. We can't be in community with one another. We can't do oh, yeah. like uh, Dawn of the Dead, really looking at how capitalism has made us zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Day of the Dead, looking at the military industrial complex. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Day of the Dead. And, yeah. and the, the one that he did like in 2007. Oh, what was man. It? He did one with John Leguizamo. And I can't remember the title right now. Land, Land of the Dead? Land of the Dead. Yeah. And Land so, of the Dead was also kind of like this really interesting like socioeconomic racial commentary it was oh yeah mashing kind of in together like what happens when you like take the concepts from night dawn and day and put them all in the same movie yeah and he does something a little different with that one because the zombies start creating a hierarchy themselves mm-hmm. rather than kind of being just you know, well, and I think uh, because they actually learn how to communicate with one another, because I think about Big Daddy um, and how he is actually able to build community and that the community of zombies is able to work better, to, better together than the community of humans that are all just kind of like in Corvatus Inse. Right. So caught up in their own kind of capitalistic schemes, right? Because of the tower that they're on, you know, and, and, you know, they, the rich want to stay rich, the poor, they want to, you know, they, and the white, the white rich people don't want like, you know, they don't want brown folks in the tower. Right. And yet one of the dreams of one of the folks like is to get into the tower, like, And so it's this realization of also like how we've been conditioned to like want particular things because social structures tell us this is how the world should be. And I think, and I think that's, that's why faith is so important because faith is about knocking down the social structures that want people to turn inward on themselves and that our faith and our scripture, it's about the, it's about community God and community. And our scripture is really what shows us to turn outward. Yeah. I, I yeah. think talking about the, the structures and faith is a great segue into we have a bishop's election coming up, going on with yeah. the structure of the church. And and um, Josh and I want to know, what do you think we should be asking bishop's candidates? I, so part of it is, um, I think like there's a bunch of like the like classic interview questions of like, what do you do during situations of conflict? Um, which I think like, there's like the canned answer that you can get because you, you actually don't know it until you live in it. Like yeah. you can have like, like I would do this in conflict. And then when the conflict actually happens, there's so many things that happen to us physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, that part of it is also reflex and lived experiences that we've had before that will sometimes come up when we actually live in the actual situation. And so we are, yes, we are oftentimes like we can gauge how we will be, but I think the human mind and how our bodies respond to stress and trauma um, can really surprise us and shock us. I feel like because coming from Sierra Pacific and being part of what had happened, um, not part of it, but like knowing it, um, 
and like some of the previous experiences I've had in churches and parishes where it was like dehumanizing for me to be there realizing that I was having trauma responses and it's like I'm not like I'm I'm in the synod and I'm like watching this unfurl but even as I'm watching it unfurl I'm noticing things in like my body and like how I feel physically how I feel emotionally and even how I feel spiritually and it was just this realization of like I think what I really learned I just learned like it was like it had to be girl get on your knees and pray Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. turn to God and turn to the people who know you and turn to the people who love you and turn to like the turn to the faith pillars in your life um so then that way it's not just on you it's also getting a communal guidance of how to how to take that first faithful step yeah yeah um Mm. and so i would really want to know like what does their faith look like how do they engage with their faith in a time of crisis Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because i also think like being a parish pastor there have been times of crisis and how how would how would one of the pre-nominees really it like how would they really engage with their faith in a time of crisis i think like that's one of the things that i wonder about yeah um i would also really wonder about um how they would engage with the uh commission for the renewed lutheran church i think what we've inherited from from the LCA, the ALC, and the AELC, I think that part of me, it's like, I wish I were a better historian to know, like, what, how the world looked like in 1987, 1988, but I don't know if our forebears had planned for 2020. I don't know if our forebears had And so thinking, I would really want to know about how they would engage with the Commission for the Renewed Lutheran Church. That would be, and I would want to know if they know about it. First and foremost, do they know about the commission? And Mm -hmm. then, yeah. And and how they would, as one of the bishops of one of the 65 synods, how how would they engage with the Commission for the Renewed Lutheran Church? Because I think... One of the things that I think we've had such shortcomings on in the ELCA and also not even just Sierra Pacific, but like a variety of different synods is our polity. Um, That our polity was created at a time for a merger in 1988, but I don't know if our polity has actually sustained us and can continue to sustain us. Because I think the other thing that is complicated about our polity is that I mean, one of the things that I find really complicated is that I would want to ask a pre-nominee that, yes, the ELCA is a corporation, the Synod ultimately is a corporation, but how would, how would a bishop model that this is actually a Christian body, mm-hmm. even though, like, legally, it's, it says it's a corporation, and so yeah. how like, yes, there's like, you know, part of the struggle is how to be of the world and how to be apart from the world. And yeah. so how do you be of the world and operate in the systems and the structures in which we have to operate at this time and being, but also how do we, how would, how would a pre-nominee operate as a leader modeling? 
Because the other thing I would want to ask a leader is how are they going to staff their office? How are they going to staff the synod? Mm -hmm. um, and where are the areas that they need help or that are not really, or that are growing edges for them? Because I think the other thing is bishops are not end-all be-alls. Bishops are human beings. And I think we often tend to forget that. And so I would also want to know how a pre-nominee would seek support through staff, through deans, through um, through the th three expressions of churchwide. <laughs> what are those again, Tihina? Uh, that would be the churchwide office. That would be our synods, and then to congregations and faith communities. <laughs> okay, all right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would actually really want to know that. Yes. Bishop, because there's also this really odd hierarchical leadership that we've inherited, I would also want to know how would they, would they inherit, how would they inherit the leadership that has essentially been passed down to them? Because I know that there's also like, there's a lot of wonky things too with being bishop. I mean, look, if we were Episcopalian, that would be a whole other thing that we'd be talking right. about, about like hierarchy and like apostolic leadership. Um, but the realization that, yes, this person has been set aside for office, but they've not been set in front and they've not been set behind. They've been set aside. And so it's alongside for accompaniment. And so how would they seek accompaniment in the areas where the synod really needs needs comfort, needs mm -hmm. care, needs consolation? I would also want to know because the synod's been traumatized. I think there's a lot of trauma in the synod and how not just the bishop, but the synod staff and leadership within the synod. And even like, I also don't think we pay enough attention to our lay leaders. Hmm. Um, how would we all come together to figure out how we have to, because we can't, we can't erase the trauma that's happened. And so how, how would trauma care be installed? How would trauma care be, be brought about? Because I think there's a lot of that. And I think that the other thing is, it's also going to be, we need a good administrator. I'm talking about like, I'm still in the synod, but I'm not. But like, I think there's a need for good administration. And I also think that there's a good need for pastoral care. But the realization that we don't come with like, we come with a variety of gifts, a different facets of gifts. But the other thing is when facets are cut, all the cuts are not the same. In order to get like the best shine, some of the cuts are wider, some of the cuts are shallower. But the realization of how how is the synod going to be equipped? It's not just the bishop. How is the synod going to be equipped? Yeah. I think those are really, really good thoughts and questions. And and um, as Josh and I are putting together our questions, um, uh, we're going to keep what you said in mind because I think that those are, those insights are, that's some wisdom there. Yeah. Because I think like... All of our hopes and dreams, if we're going to pin them to one entity, we got to pin that to Jesus. 100% amen. 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 <laughs> right? Um, it, it's not the church. It's not any organization. It's not our country. It is Jesus Christ himself. 
that we put yeah. all of our hope in in life in. Right. Yeah. And so like that's that's where I'm going. Amen. I also and the realization that like the bishop isn't Jesus. The bishop is a disciple of Jesus. And the, the bishop is also simultaneously saint and sinner. Yep. Right. Yep. Like I can call that right now. Right. And I, I can call that, that like whoever's gonna be the next bishop of the Sierra Pacific Synod is simultaneously saint and sinner. Right. And I, th and I think that even goes for back to the, the commission for the renewed Lutheran church. Like, like we're never going to get the structure perfect. Right. Oh my gosh, like, no. like the only never... way that we're going to get that structure perfect is when Jesus comes back and we don't need that structure because Jesus. Amen. Amen. Right. And, and so I think the, like, so I think you're exactly right. Is sometimes we, we pin our hopes and our dreams to certain things you know, because we want this perfection. We want this, you know, we want the kingdom of God fully realized uh, in the here and now. And and it's not not there yet. And, and I think we, we often pin it to what we have like known-ish. And so like, okay, whoever will be like a pre-nominee is a known entity. It's a known literal body. Right. The commission, the renewed, like the, the renewed Lutheran church, like there will be documentation, like that will be like finite. Like this is something that we can put our hands on. But what I also really want to remind folks is people of faith. That's why we have sacraments that we have like the tactile way that it's like, okay, here is God in my life when I forget. Yeah. Amen. That's good. And so it's like, and you know, we are a forgetful people. I don't even know what I had for breakfast this morning. Um, but this realization of, of like, we want oftentimes when we venture into the unknown, we want tactileness. Yeah. We want, we want finite, like we want something finite. Yeah. And I think like, that's also kind of what is, that's also kind of what's scary about this upcoming election is because we don't know. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and that's month. also where we can rely on having faith in one another and faith in the moves of the spirit. Yeah. I think that's a great place to leave, leave the Bishop conversation and go to uh, the end of this, which is our, our we're going to ask a wrap, some rapid fire questions. Jeremy's going to ask you some. I am so bad at rapid fire, but, but let's, let's, uh, you know, just say the first thing that comes to mind, you know, let, let yeah. it just oh, come bitch. from. Oh, not All now. Right. And, and some of these are softballs, okay? All right, so, all right. Which food can you eat every day? Potatoes. What's your favorite movie genre? Zombies. Salty or sweet? Yes. In addition to the Bible, because every pastor says that, which book would you want with you on a deserted island? I can't remember the title. Um... The Curious Incident of the Dog at Nighttime. That's the title. That's why I can't remember it because it's very long. What fills your cup? Water. <laughs> what depletes your cup? Anxiety. <laughs> What's your favorite holy place? My hands. Mm. And what is what one what is one piece of good advice that you've been given? Don't go to bed angry. Hmm. Unless it's righteous anger. 
And, and lastly, what do you hope God will say to you when you enter the pearly gates? It's about damn time. <laughs> Everybody, uh, this has been the Reverend Tuhina Rash. Thank you so much for coming and being the first for guest letting on me podcast. be the first guest. <laughs> I am honored. Also reiterating, I am not a pre-nominee. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, just, I, I want I want folks to be crystal clear. <laughs> uh, if if your name comes up, I will say I have authority to say she doesn't want to be on this list. All right. No, just call me and put me on speakerphone, and I'll just be like, no. Hundred <laughs> percent. All right. Thanks for coming, Tahina. Thanks for the invitation.